incredible winners and incredible losers. Now you decide which one you want to be part of. When someone turns around and says that now is not the right time to invest in property, where exactly are you getting your information from? Focus on the strengths that you need to develop, not focus on the weaknesses. to the Take Charge podcast. I am here with Dr. Anand. Dr. Anand is the ambassador of the real estate in Dubai, the best trainer that Dubai has ever seen. And today we're gonna start talking about few questions, few stuff we got from our brokers. And Dr. Anand will be generous enough to share all of his wisdom with all of you. So Dr. Anand, first of all, thanks a lot for coming on the show. My pleasure, Anthony. Thank you for having me again. Such a pleasure to have you. And I want to start with the first question. Like, knowing now, uh, since uh, COVID break hit Dubai, DLD has stopped the RERA courses, and uh, we got a massive uh, function of agents. So now, when I used to be taking those courses, let's say in 2018, we used to be 6,000 agents, and today there are 26,000 agents that came in without having this proper training. So I want you please to explain to us how to practice the code of ethics. Okay, you know, there's this popular saying, honey attracts flies. Now that's exactly what I believe has happened with real estate in Dubai. Probably right now, arguably the strongest market in the world. The money is there and that is what has attracted people. However, a lot of the brokers who came in saw the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but they never really thought about what is required to be effective in this industry. So the code of ethics that you're talking about is the broker's integrity to his process. Uh, in the short run, you will close a deal or two if you're not ethical, but at the end of the day, it's going to hurt your long-term revenue because it's a small market and news goes wrong quickly. So when we talk of code of ethics, I think the first thing that a person needs to look at, the broker is his own integrity towards himself. Today, we find a lot of brokers today just to close a deal are willing to compromise on their own values, the commissions that they get, anything to simply close a deal failing to realize that once I have closed a deal, offering that sort of a kickback or discounting on my own earnings, all the referrals that I get from this person going forward will have to be handled the same way because that's the message that's going to go out there. Secondly, it becomes my own pattern where somewhere on the inside, I'm going to lose my own natural confidence that I can work with the big ticket uh, investors and I can uh, at the same time make a career for myself. So I begin in the industry on the wrong foot I continue with that and that becomes my pattern and eventually I'm working hard but I'm not making the kind of money I should be making because smart investors can recognize that the only reason you're surviving in this industry is not because of your professional approach but it's because of your concessional approach what you are offering them so code of ethics I think the first thing is be true to yourself you have a family to feed you have dreams aspirations don't let anybody take that dream from you not even an investor Stand your ground for who you are. If the client is not willing to work with you, walk away with respect. Have the courage to do that. Walk away with respect and you will find that the market will come looking for you once you have started to close the deals on the confidence and the professionalism. Your referral quality goes up. You are able to convert faster when you work with quality referrals who believe in your potential rather than your ability to give them the money which is rightfully yours. The second thing that comes into Code of Ethics is your representation. As a broker, I am acting on behalf of both my seller as well as my buyer. It is important that I represent correctly my seller. So to simply get a listing to promise an additional 500,000 that I'm going to find you a buyer is eventually going to destroy your own credibility. Sellers today do not want to give their units on listing because they have believed in the brokers who assured them that at the price that they had asked, they would find buyers. And then they waited for four weeks, six weeks, no sign of the broker. They've had to follow up with the brokers. And so over the years, some credibility of the broker community has been damaged. So today, people do not want to list with brokers because they believe that the broker is taking the listing, but he's not going to find them the credible buyer. And this happens where if a client is expecting an amount that is not realistic, the broker is not professionally competent to be able to explain why the opportunity window to sell this unit is going to be damaged because of the unrealistic positioning of the product. So integrity is 
ensuring that you are able to get your seller to agree with you that the most uh, opportune time for me and window that I can operate in is dependent on the correct positioning. Because what they don't understand is, you see, when you list overpriced, you now compete not against one but two markets. The first is other units or homes very similar to yours suddenly become more attractive because they are 250,000 to 400,000 lesser. That unit is going to sell faster than you. So you are actually helping the other seller get his unit sold. Now, the second market that you're going to struggle with is if you're asking a 400,000 over the market price, there is a unit down the road with an additional bedroom and a better waterfront view, which can be got with that extra 400,000. Why now would I put my 400,000 for this unit with you when I can get a bigger unit, an extra bedroom and a much nicer view in the same money? So once again, you are helping another seller with a better quality unit sell his unit because you are positioning yourself in the wrong bracket. So my integrity as a broker is to help my seller understand this. For that, there is a certain approach that we need to use, which is what we are coaching the industry on to help them know how do I handle this kind of a situation. So the integrity of the code of ethics comes from the correct product positioning at the right price. Why? You're not just the broker for the seller, Anthony. You're the broker for the buyer. You want to make sure that your buyer is getting a home that justifies that price tag. And has a room to grow as well. Absolutely, so that he gets the benefit. So I cannot be one-sided in this. I already know I'm not even going to get the sale here, but at the same time, I'm going to be unfair if I try and convince a buyer to take a unit at that price. Mm -hmm. The third area which I find again with a lot of brokers is there are sellers who understand that the negotiation game is going to happen. So they, uh, they suggest a price and then they tell you privately, I'm willing to come down about 200 to 250,000. That's, That's my closing price. Yeah. Now, what happens with the brokers is to attract the buyer and come, they go out there and they immediately spill the beans on this. Can we close they, at this price? Yes, and they've taken away the negotiation leverage. So now what I have actually done is I've been fair to my buyer as a broker, but I've been unfair to my seller because I didn't even make the effort to get him the kind of money he's looking for. And probably more important than both of them, I've been unfair to myself as well. This is going to affect even the earnings that I would get from this business. So I think these are a few things which uh, brokers need to be really careful about because they're building a long-term image. And there's one last thing I would add into it is your own professional competence in terms of reading the markets, understanding where the market is going, performance of a community versus another community. If we are not on point with all this information, we might tend to oversell the performance of a product or a community, but we may not have the facts to back it up. The credibility that we have comes into question. Uh, at the end of the day, I might sell that villa, but I would never be able to go back to that seller with a new opportunity in the market or to get uh, references from his friends whose homes I could sell. So I'm going to lose in the long run. So code of ethics has to be absolutely at the top of my list if I want to be a long-term player in this market. Code of ethics towards the company. Code of ethics towards the company, uh, for me, it is, the company is investing a lot in terms of creating their own brand position out there, marketing, the lead generation that they are creating. Uh, and there is a lot of, uh, how would I say, intelligence, market research, experience has gone into creating this. Now, that, that is the intellectual property of the company. Now, if I am going to take those leads and go out and privately share them with my friends so that they are able to close deals on my behalf and agree with me earnings out there, to me, that's an, a huge no-no because at the end of the day, my credibility as a broker just doesn't exist in the market. We have a brokerage company in faith that has employed you. I'll actually give you an example without mentioning the name of a brokerage. I had a senior broker who once came to me and said, uh, we are 50-50 partners. Why is it that they insist that we come in on time? Why do they insist that we work They're not paying me salary. They're not paying me salaries. We are 50-50. We are partners. And I had to confront him and say, help me understand how you're partners. And he said, it's a 50-50. I said, you're only a partner if you pay 50% of the desk space that you occupy. 
pay 50% of the marketing campaigns, pay the portal rentals, pay 50% of the office rents, the licenses to run the business, pay 50% of the utilities, the salaries of the back and stuff, pay 50% of all of that, then share 50% of your earnings with the brokerage management, then I will call you a partner. You are not a partner when 100% of the costs, the portals, the lead generation, the management of the business, the rentals, 100% is paid by the management and 50% of the earning is shared with them. You don't become partner in that. Integrity is where you see the brokerage as your own company. I cannot agree more. And let me tell you something that always happens with us. Like when other brokers come to, to join us and during the interview, sometimes I sit and I listen and I'm like, Tell me, why did you leave the previous company? And immediately they start throwing bad words. Some of them say management is terrible, leads are terrible, whatever it is. And for me, that's an immediate red flag. Why? Because I do believe in the integrity. Let's say that company actually was terrible. You can simply tell me that I didn't find my purse. I didn't feel like this is the place to grow. I'm looking for somewhere else. But the same way that you're talking bad about that company, what's going to stop you from talking bad about me? Uh, it also works in another way here, Anthony. If I am saying that that company is so terrible and uh, one, two, three, four, whatever the excuses, it also reflects poorly on my own judgment. It's, it, it begs me to ask the question, so what kind of research and background reference checks did you do on the company before you joined? So when you joined the company, you absolutely believe that they were the best in town. So how did you decide that they were the right ones for you to work with? So it actually points the finger right, right yeah. back at you. And then you joined that company and what made you stay in that company for so long before you decided to move? So what you're telling me is you were okay to stay in a company that has got bad leadership, does not generate leads well, does not coach and train you. What, what does that tell me about you as a person? That you can take any offer just for you to feel like you're... Absolutely. There's probably no serious company ready to touch you. And that's the reason why you're in that position. I'm sure you guys are taking notes because now we're going to take this to a different level. Doctor, tell me, uh, how to identify a good broker? Great question. Okay, it's probably in the minds of most of the buyers and sellers yeah, exactly. in the Dubai market like so as well. One hundred percent. It's probably in the minds of some serious brokers as well who are actually asking the valid question: How do I differentiate myself from the crowd so that people see me for who, for who I am? Mm. I have a four C approach to this. A four Cs. The first C is compatibility. Your professional likability. See, people buy from people they like but people like people like themselves. So what are you doing to ensure your professional likability? How compatible are you with the buyer and the seller? How, do, how much do they see that you are acting on their side? So I think uh, a good broker understands that people buy from people they like. So he makes the attempt, he or she makes the attempt to become that likable person. We're talking emotional decisions. I'm selling a home. I have dreams and memories associated with it. Or I'm looking to buy a home. My wife and my kids, I'm going to take them into that home for the next five to eight years. I want to know I'm getting a good home. I don't want to discover later that this home doesn't work for me. And even if I had to sell it, I know I'm going to lose money because the home is not working for me. I have to lose. Yeah. So my likability comes from how, how comfortable people feel with me. So compatibility. The second in this is capability. I like you. You're a nice guy. You're friendly, approachable, very patient. But how much are you in tune with what's happening in the market? How well can you do you understand the communities? How do you actually qualify which community works best for me? I've come to you in essence saying, help me find the home of my dreams. How capable are you of doing that so that I will actually become an ambassador for Anthony in the market going forward? So my capability, my market knowledge, reading the market conditions, the current trends, which communities outperforming the others, which one works most for me, maximum experience ROI for me if I'm a homeowner, uh, profitability for me if I'm an investor. How well equipped are you to get me that? Answers with regards to the market, 
perceptions in the market, all the excuses that people keep talking about. Can you clear away the cobwebs and take me through and help me understand why this 8.5 million is a justifiable investment? So my capability becomes important. And the third is my credibility. So I've got the, uh, the compatibility, my likability, I've got my capability, my professionalism, I've got my credibility, which is my legacy. How many people have you actually helped to close deals? How many have you helped to find the dreams of the uh, homes of the dream? Who is the brokerage that you represent? How does this company help aspirations with people? Uh, who are the networks that I uh, work with? Which kind of developers am I associated with in the market? How well do I represent my own broker and my seller? What kind of testimonials do I have that I can share? Credibility becomes very important. And then the fourth is my clarity. Clarity is the absolute certainty and sureness with which I present the opportunities. I don't throw vague information. When I quote statistics, I am able to uh, mention the sources. I'm able to share credible uh, sources for that information. It's also in terms of, uh, in terms of my clarities, when I explain a community, when I explain a return potential, does my potential buyer actually understand it the way I'm explaining it? Is there buyer's remorse that's going to kick in later because what you sold me is not what I'm actually experiencing right now? So it's a lot about being clear about what you're saying, reconfirming with clients, checking how emotionally invested they are with everything that I've been saying and presenting. We take talking 8 million and 10 million. It may not be your money, but it's blood, sweat and tears for the other person. It's hard money. And, we, and he's going to take his wife and children into that home. I have a huge responsibility as a broker where I need to be likable, I need to be professional, I need to have the capability, I need to be credible in what I do, and I be clear. There should be absolutely no shadow of a doubt in my head first as a broker when I take a solution. That's why I always say, think of your mom and dad if they were to come to buy a home, how would you sell? And that is exactly the approach that you need, need to Treat adopt. your parents, uh, treat your clients like you treat your parents. That's, that's it. That's if you can do that, Anthony, you will not be a good broker. You'll be an excellent broker. I did that, actually. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> this is my first rule. Is like, And the second rule, I always say, whatever you don't buy yourself, don't sell it to people. If One you follow this issue, that's it. You got it, you cracked it. That, that, is is idea. that actually it goes back to the integrity issue as well. Yeah. If I wouldn't put my money in it, you have no right to sell it to somebody else. Since we're talking about this doctor, let us uh, stay in the same topic and talk about appearance. How important is appearance in this industry? Okay, so let me ask you a question. How would you feel if I turned up in Bermuda shorts for the meeting today, for this recording? My PA will tell you that I'm busy, I'm sick, something happened. <laughs> yeah, but, but I have the experience, I understand the market, I know everything. And if matter. I came in, a, in ripped jeans and a t-shirt with some ugly message, uh, how would you feel? And first impression is the most important part. Absolutely. How you look like and, and how you look like plus your energy represent you. It talks about you even before saying a word. You know, one of I heard a broker just I think about a couple of weeks ago mentioned to me saying you need to have an expensive mindset. And I loved what he was talking about. When we talked about an expensive mindset is not a show off mindset. You should feel comfortable with things of value. That includes seeing yourself as a person of value, respecting yourself enough that you dress and present yourself as a person of value. Remember, people are buying from people they like, but people like people like themselves. When you're selling to the millionaires and the billionaires of the world, to the entrepreneurs, to the managing directors, to the CEOs, they, you need to show up, not as the coffee boy. Now, with all respect, the coffee boy is excellent at what he does, but that's not what you do. You're selling million dollar homes. Turn up like a million dollar salesperson. And that's very important. Secondly, what a lot of salespeople fail to understand is there's two presentations that happen in every sales engagement. One is you as you're speaking. The second is your presence, your personality, and your representation that is speaking all the time and sending unconscious messages to people. Now, how would you feel if you had to go and buy a Rolls Royce, for example, and you walked in there and there was a guy in a sweatshirt or in his track pants, he just came from the gym and he's going to sell it to you. The, 
He might be a great sales guy, but the first thing in your head is, do I want to buy from someone like this? And it has to be easy on the eyes. I, I need to be able to look at him, to talk at him, to be comfortable doing that, or else what's the point? Additionally, you are not just your own brand. If you are hired to work with the brokers, take for example, Provident, okay? You represent Provident. The ethics of the company, the aspiration of the company, the brand visibility of the company is you. You are the front end of that company. And if you believe that you are premium as a company, you cannot be average on the sales front. So in my view, presentation, absolutely critical. Zero compromise on that. Doctor, um, the most asked question for the new joiners, what shall I join? Primary slash off plan or secondary market? Okay, great question again. My answer to that is there is no one specific market. Both markets have been doing extremely well. However, my advice to you would be if you are a new joiner and you don't have industry background, the brokerage that you join, your first responsibility is to ensure that you're joining a brokerage that has got a proven track record. Just like the brokerage company is checking if you are the right person for them, you have the right to qualify if the brokerage is the right one for you to be. You're starting your career. You want to start correctly because first impressions matter. I want my impression of this industry to be the correct one. Therefore, I need to choose the correct brokerage, not any and every brokerage that gives me the opportunity. So that's my starting point. However, once I come into the company, being new to the industry, there is the wisdom of the leadership, a CEO in the company, a head of sale in the company, uh, a head of HR in there, owners of the company, the management team have got to that position based on proven excellence and experience. They've reached there, they've put the money in the bank, they've created the brand names for themselves and they are credible. They understand the industry, they understand what makes brokers successful in this. When you join their company, the only reason they allowed you in through the front door is because they wanted you to do well because only if you do well, they will do well. So we are not hiring bodies, we are hiring the people who will take us to the next level. Our aspiration is built on people who come into our company. So when they have the experience, they are already thinking of which is the market, secondary or the primary, where you would do well as your launch pad. Listen to them. They understand how. Once it has been identified that we think you will do well in primary or we think you will do well in secondary, then comes the next question. Okay, now that it's been identified that I should be in primary, what should I do so that I am effective and I can have a really good career in here? The danger here is when we join you in a company, we listen to everybody around us. So there are people who will start to tell you primary will do better than secondary or secondary will do better than primary. So we start listening to people who are not in the leadership or not in positions of excellence in these companies. Or not even closing. Or not even closing, <laughs> which is even worse. I wouldn't even know why you would listen to such a person. But the fact is I listen to these people. They see the thought in my head. And now my leadership sits with me and says, we would like you to start in this particular division of the company and I already have internal resistance and my internal resistance is built on what certainly not my experience because I don't have it I don't have the maturity level in this industry to decide if my leadership is right or wrong but I've listened to Mickey Mouse who's an average closer in the business he has put the Mickey Mouse thought in my head and now that is making me resist where the option given by the company and the company has only one thought in mind how can I make you succeed? Because when you succeed, we succeed. So listen to your leadership. Doctor, I would like to add on what you said. Like I, I always give a very simple uh, example. I tell them, okay, what would you buy? A Ferrari or Lamborghini? They both look beautiful. And they were like, oh, like you have to drive it. So when you come in and you're so confused between the off-plan and the secondary, the off-plan, let's agree on it's an investor game. You need to speak to investors. You need to know your numbers. You need to know all of this stuff. When you're dealing in secondary, there is also investors, but most of the people coming, they are families looking for their forever home or whatever it is. So are you good with families or are you good with numbers? Practice it and from the practice, you can tell which direction it will take you. I completely agree with that. At the end of the day, there's a personality to each product, mm -hmm. right? 
and that's that's exactly why leadership understands the personality of the product they're now working with you in your first few days they're beginning to see your personality because you still can't relate to the personality of the industry and based on the experience they're connecting the right personalities together which is the reason why i was saying listen to your leadership and after some time make your own conclusions now with all of this uh, crazy launches happening in the primary market like we're seeing a week minimum four to five projects being launched like how can someone keep up with the stuff get all of this information and stay on track without losing focus like what would you like to give an advice for this topic okay we are in one of the top performing markets in the world not only is it top performing it's one of the most aggressive markets in the world in an aggressive top performing market you're always going to have a flood this is a tsunami of launches coming at you now if you're going to try and take a stand against a tsunami we're going to blow you over i think the smarter move here would be for you to identify your core style and pick a niche are you going to do beachfront properties are you going to do commercial are you going to do residential are you going to do downtown desert lifestyle communities pick something or sit and work in consultation with your leadership and identify once you have picked a particular type of com- uh, product or even a community like a beachfront that's when you specialize in that you don't have to run selling every single thing all these communities are doing well but you don't have that kind of it's going to take you 5 years to master everything in dubai but pick a community build that personality of the community upon your own personality now once i have done that i then need to understand who is the right kind of person i need to approach the right prospect for that kind of a lifestyle so once again you don't run after the world just like you don't run after every community here you identify the one that you believe resonates with you and you can sell it well identify this community is designed for which type of buyer or home owner that's the one you got to go for then you identify your networking channels that take you to those kind of people which type of exhibitions you would go to which portals are you going to be listing on which forums you would want to become part of which community activities in dubai you'd like you want to frequent and get to find these people then what's key after that is develop your own secondary sales support now what do i mean by that as a broker you cannot have an employee mindset you are the ceo of your own business we pay you only when you close so it's up to you to create your own network of closers that work for you so if i have decided i'm going to go into beachfront communities and i target three or four developers that i want to specialize your next job becomes qualifying which sales people in the broker's team are the most effective in closing those communities build your network with them sit with them you demonstrate to them first why you believe you have the ability to bring the right kind of person for the product and then ask them to demonstrate to you why they are the best person for me to take this potential buyer to so find the performers the closers the ones with the integrity and the right brand positioning for that kind of product in the developer build your relationship with them for the sale to be effective there are multiple things that need to come together there is the personality of the product that you are representing beachfront lifestyle there is a certain personality of buyer who is interested in that a certain personality of a sales person aligns better with that product to sell it because his heart is on fire for that kind of product and then there is the sales person's personality that resonates with the sale when all these personalities come together that's where the magic happens and by the way when all of these come together you don't sell you help people to buy because the person who loves the product is coming in he's coming to a broker who's passionate about it you take him to a investment advisor who's equally passionate about it this is a buy transaction not a sale the best sales people in the world are always thinking in terms of buying so my advice would be when you are surrounded by so many opportunities don't get sidetracked be absolutely focused on what is your niche and what you're trying to do become brand ambassador for that and watch how the business starts coming to you amazing let's talk about the secondary market and this uh, topic like for the new joiners or even people has been let's say for 6 months or 1 year in the industry doing the secondary market they always say like 
it is so hard or it's nearly impossible to enter a community where you have companies establish themselves from five years, 10 years, 12 years over there in a way like they have a market domination over that area and there is no way to, to pinch it or to approach it. So what would you say to that? Okay, I would look at that from two, uh, two perspectives. Companies that got into the game early, they have got a footprint in each of these communities. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is the most effective footprint. It's just that we've been in that community for a long time. I know new brokers who have entered into communities where brokers have been there for a long time and they've absolutely killed the market. So being in the market for a long time gives me a certain edge in terms of brand presence familiarity and awareness of these kind of brokerages in the minds of the sellers and buyers in that area. But at the end of the day, we know that 54% of the reason any per, anyone invests or buys is because of the salesperson's approach. It's not necessary. The company may be premium. The person operating in that area may not necessarily be so. When I walk into that community, I have two, three approaches here. My company may be a recognized developer. I, a broker, I may be new in the market. I can use a third party approach. Anthony, the reason why so many sellers list with us is when you work with me, it's not just me. I have a team of 12 brokers who have a combined experience of 60 years between them in your community. When you list with me and when you contract me to sell your home, you don't get just me. You get 12 brokers passionate about that area with around 60 years of experience and network creation with them. That's what That's you get working That's beautifully said, for. especially that nowadays a landlord can only list with three agents. So when you tell them like I have a team in my bag, I have a huge army that we can sell it, I think it's a Absolutely. Nice and it's, it's an army that has got the approach directly with the buying community as mm -hmm. well. And you're right. Since you can only list with three now, wouldn't you, would you prefer listing with a broker who works for you or a team who's going to work for you? Which one's going to get you the results faster? So I think uh, that is the approach that I would take if I'm in the secondary market. There's one more thing which I'd like to put here. What the brokers tend to struggle with is when they go and talk to sellers in that area, sellers turn around and make statements like, I'm already I working, yeah. I have a broker in this area, uh, I don't need to work with you, I've been with this person for the last five years. Now, there's two things here. We, we don't even know if he's serious about that statement or if he's just using it as a brush off, right? So what you want to do is ignore the statement and in fact you just complement it, add to it. So the seller says, but listen, I'm already working with the broker, five years I've been with him in this industry. I would simply say, that's fantastic, why don't we just double your chances then? Let's double your chances, right? You've got this broker, continue with your relationship with this person. But if I could get you that serious buyer, cash buyer, willing to give you a price that's attractive, if I can get it for you quickly, would you be willing to work with me? get them first to that point of agreement. That opens the door for secondary phone calls and the relationship you build. Now your role is in your next phone calls and your WhatsApps, show him why you are better than the other brokers that he's working with. Don't put down the other broker. Show him why you are better than the others he has worked with before. So once you have done that, you will find this person opening out or leaning towards it. The reason why sellers resist it is we have brokers who try to explain they are the best not to work with the others, work with me. And that means you're hurting the loyalty of this owner with someone with whom he's got some relationship. Don't do that. Simply compliment it. Say, perfect. Why don't we just double your chances? And that's the way you can get in and start working with these sellers. Beautifully said. Doctor, when a landlord gives this broker a listing to work on, uh, I don't want to say most of them, but I don't feel like uh, the feedback or the updates are being done properly on the weekly basis. Like, what is the perfect formula? Let's say I gave this guy my property. On what basis he should update me and how we should work together? Okay, uh, this is one of the biggest, uh, how would I say, uh, pains of the sellers <laughs> in Dubai. Until I give you the listing, you're on my case. You keep calling me, you keep following up with me. But once the listing is given to you, you disappear. And you will follow. Yeah. The landlord will follow the agent. Four weeks, six weeks. I have to call you and say, what's happening with my property? Now, why? let's first understand why brokers don't get back to them. 
The first, they probably took a listing at a price that is not realistic. So even they know that there's no one they can bring to him. They've simply taken it to park there and show that they have a large number of listings. And because I already know that there is no potential buyer that I would in my right senses bring for that, they have, they've gone invisible on you. That's the first reason. The second reason is the broker himself might be very reactive in his approach. Typically what 80% of the market does is they take a listing, they take a few nice pictures about it, they'll put it on a few portals and then they wait for the leads to come. That's reactive marketing. But in that's passive marketing. But in active marketing, we become aggressive. We will list because 97% of the buyers start their search online before they move offline to work with a broker. I don't want to miss that 97%. So I will list on those, on those portals. However, I will spend an hour, two hours every day talking to five, 10, 15 brokers, 15 buyers in the community, actually asking them if they would be interested in looking at your uh, property. That's when I'm able to come with more credible feedback. Now there's a third point to this. Let's say it is listed and for some reason there's been a, you haven't been able to get people to contact you. It's been two weeks, three weeks. You should make it a, a principle that every three days you should give a call to the seller. Every, even if he doesn't even have any if offer or call. No offer. See, sell your effort. I may not have the buyer. Even if I'm working to find a buyer, but I'm not in touch with the seller, in the seller's mind, nothing is happening. You're not active. So sell your effort. Call up Anthony and say, Anthony, hope things are good with you today. Anthony, the reason I'm calling you is I just wanted to tell you what's been happening in the last three days. I've spoken with X and with Y. I got a couple of offers, but they were really quite low compared to what we're looking for, which is the reason why I didn't follow up on them. But I've also spoken to two other brokers who have some buyers who are interested. I'll give you a call every three days just to let you know. Now, what are the advantages? The first thing is you set yourself apart from most brokers because the landlord actually surprised. Every three days, this broker is actually calling me. Every three days. I don't have so, and he's selling at least his effort. I don't have to guess what's happening. The second thing that happens is after two, three calls have happened, a familiarity builds with this broker. I'm now used to picking up his call. I'm used to having conversations. When people have conversations four or five times, they're more willing to accept and adjust with each other. At some point, you might want to look at a price adjustment or elongating the opportunity window for the client. When you have to make such suggestions, they're more open to listening to you because you have justified making that statement because you've been showing them what you're doing. When you don't stay in touch with me for four weeks and then you tell me, you know what, I think we need to do a price adjustment on the basis of what? So you build the relationship, which is very important because you have to set them up to be open to a suggestion from your side. So that's the reason why I absolutely think they must keep in touch. Constantly sell your effort even if you don't have the buyer. Let's say that in this scenario where uh, even the listing is like well-priced, but for some reason, sometimes, you know, sometimes something's happened, it doesn't sell. When should the broker start telling this landlord that in my own opinion, I think we should drop the price if you're willing to move it and you're in a rush or else we keep it like, after three weeks, one month, one month and a half, in your opinion, what would be the fair? Okay, I think this idea needs to be seeded in the beginning. In the beginning. If I don't seed it in the beginning, I'm giving the unconscious suggestion, relax, I'm gonna find somebody. Mm. Because I've not been suggested this. So when you give such a suggestion, you never talk about words like dropping the price, price reduction. These are words that nobody likes. The word we would Adjusting. Be, adjust. <laughs> we would do a, a price adjustment schedule. But the way to do it is when you present these, you have to use a third party approach. So Anthony, from our experience, we found that the opportunity window for homes in your area, when priced correctly, is usually between week two and week four. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go with this price. I'm going to share with you my active marketing campaign. What all we're going to do? I'm gonna give you updates every three days. Let's monitor the market very carefully, which is why I'll call you every three days. If we find for whatever reason, the effort has been done, but we're not able to get someone in that, let's look at extending your opportunity window from four weeks to six weeks or eight weeks. And the way to do that would be considering an adjustment to the pricing, which we don't need to do now. 
we'll look at that later let's, let's optim- optimize week 2 and 4 but if we don't have a strategy beyond week 4 the opportunity window is going to shift from you to the buyer because the buyers who are also aware with their brokers that there is an opportunity window of week 2 to 4 how come this home hasn't moved so the leverage moves to their side so the opportunity window shifts so to keep it with you we will look at a couple of strategies to extend the opportunity window so it stays with you but we don't need to worry about that for now so when you seed them with this at the, they recognize that they're working with someone who has experience someone who's honest someone who's really thinking about getting their uh, home sold who's already said i'm going to give you feedback every 3 days let's put our finger on the pulse and later when you are and since you've made those call every 3 days at some point at some point when you have to agree an adjustment they're actually open to discuss more with you they will feel comfortable Absolutely. because like it's proven that you've done the work but we need to do something change it sell your effort that's okay doctor was this uh, global recession happening and uh, you know the interest rates shooting up and it's becoming extremely unaffordable for someone to buy a house on a 10 years mortgage it's becoming nuts how can we in dubai show people like Dubai is not really affected by this. Actually, Dubai is really on the rise. We're seeing every project being launched, selling out in two hours, which is madness. So how can we justify the growth and the success of Dubai and give back this kind of clarity and comfort for people like you shouldn't be worried about putting your money in here. Actually, ride this train before the train takes off. All right. I can answer that question Anthony. How many hours do we have for this? There's about a 50 different reasons why Dubai makes absolute sense. So let's look at some of the key ones here. Let's firstly look at credible reports that talk about worldwide performance on real estate. If you look at Knight Frank, the Knight Frank report which just came out a couple of weeks ago actually has predicted a 13.5% rise in prices for Dubai next year when the global forecast was dropped from 2.7% down to 2. So globally they are revising it on a downward trend but the same intelligence and the same research is enhancing Dubai by 13.5%. That's a 550% increase in terms of the international markets. The second and third Miami and Vegas are at 4% and 4.7%. We're going to be growing three times that rate. So what's catalyzing this growth is important. The first thing that we need to understand here is that the personality of the Dubai market is very different from all the other markets. Most of the other markets that are in the top tier, the top 24 to 25 cities are well established markets that have been there some of them for as long as 400 to 600 years now in those markets they are largely secondary or ready home markets there is hardly any off plan sales that is happening in those markets 4 to 5% in most of those cities okay. and even in those cities where off plan is allowed you have to finish a 50% construction in some of those cities before you could sell dubai is the other way around so when you have a market where over 90% is ready homes market that's where you find a lot of home owners are looking to buy and they are looking to mortgage the homes for them the home buying has become expensive and therefore home owners are dropping the prices by $30,000 $45,000 to offset that increase in the mm-hmm. uh, interest and that's giving the perception that the prices are dropping but in dubai the prices are going up we had a 21% increase and the reason for that is we are in a new cycle which has been fueled by how dubai handled the pandemic and showed that we are back in business when the world remained shut we were open for business so investment started to funnel into the city now investors are smart they didn't funnel it just because that was the only open market they funneled it because they saw the government responses they saw what was happening in other global economies in contrast to dubai so that is the reason why they had the confidence in dubai now the personality of the dubai market is actually now the other way around at the start of 2022 it was two units in the secondary market to one unit in the primary we expected to equal each other by the end of the year it's already reversed it's two in the primary to one in the secondary and when it is primary market driven with all these launches happening these are investors showing up now investors are cash buyers so they are not affected by the increase in the rents the mortgage market takes a hit 
But if you look at the cash to mortgage ratio, even if you look at yesterday's figures, 1.23 billion, it was 81% cash and 19% mortgage. If you look at the entire year, for the 11 months of this year, it was 83% cash and 17% mortgage. So in a market that is heavily cash driven, the impact of the increasing rates is not the same, not as much. So that's one thing that has driven the market. The second thing that has driven the market is all the initiatives that's been created to boost the number of people coming into Dubai over the next three to four years. Everybody understands property moves in cycles, which means that this cycle, while it's on an excellent upward trend, at some point, two to three years later, is going to flatten out and start to dip. That's when some people get the perception that the market is slowing down, panic selling starts. The government in Dubai has been very strategic. They have looked at how the dips have happened in the previous two cycles. Now we have actually proactively introduced initiatives to slow the dip down when the inventory hits the market. What are some of these initiatives? We now can get a 10-year visa with just 2 million. So we've and had you pay only 20% on 20%. Yeah. That means more and more people will be encouraged now to invest, which means they'll buy up the units and they can get visas. So we've already seen about 300,000 applications have been approved. In the years to come, the next couple of years, you are going to find these in, in the hundreds of thousands. These are people who are going to come in. Many of them will be looking to take a ready home at the 2 million because they can get visas for 10 years. So the idea is to get people coming into Dubai when the supply starts to come in so they can eat up the supply faster than in previous cycles. The number of trade licenses issued for new businesses between last year and this year, 71,000 71, commercial 000. licenses, forget the professional. If an average size of a company in Dubai is between 8 to 12, so if you're having another 70,000 companies with the around 10, that's 700,000 people coming in in the next two to three years, where are the homes for them? So when the supply starts to hit the market, there are a lot more people coming in to rent and willing to buy. This is how, instead of having a steep downturn in the market, you level it out because the absorption rate becomes higher. So you can get the next wave starting much earlier than in the previous cycles. Today, you can start in District 2020 and in similar kind of zones, you can come and start up for two years without payment of any tax, without even paying the registration fee, a two-year breathing window space given to you. Come in here, take the advantage, set up your company and two years later enter into paying the, paying the down. With initiatives like this, more and more companies are going to start coming in, which means more and more licenses, more population, more renting and buying. We are flattening the back end of the curve. And all of this has been announced now because it takes two to three years to really come with impact. There's more, which really takes this to the next level. A few months ago, the government has now announced pension schemes for expats. What is the intent? A pension scheme is only valid if you live in the country. As long as you can have that minimum amount of money that you can show in the bank, you can now live the rest of your life in the UAE. They will need homes. So these are people who now will look at maintaining that money in the bank, buying property and they can live the rest of their life in Dubai. We are also giving. So we are populating the back end of the curve differently today. Even more classic. The Expo 2020 gave us a glimpse of it, an idea. You see, at the, during the Expo, we brought the world to us. Now, the ruler's office in Dubai is reaching out to 40 countries. We are, we are actually creating our own trade forums and exhibition centers in 40 countries. We are going to those countries, establishing permanent offices and marketing the UAE and Dubai in those countries. We're going to India, we're going to the UK, we're going to London, we will host events, we will have seminars, we'll talk to people there and say, come and live the life of your dreams in Dubai. We did it for six months by inviting people to Dubai. Today we're reaching out. I haven't heard of any other country that has gone and put forums and marketing companies in 40 other countries to talk directly to the citizens of that country and promote and bring them here. All of these initiatives is going to come in and populate that back end. And seeing all of this, 
we have an increase in price trends project predicted of 13.5%. Seeing this, investors are coming into the country. Millionaires are leaving their home countries, giving up their passports, even the US passport, to now come to the UAE. The highest millionaire mi migration, the Henley and Partners study has shown us that, is the UAE. 65,000, right? No, no, uh, the millionaire migration millionaire migration is 4,000 this year for no, UAE. No, but I mean, yeah. all of the counts and 70,000. 70,000 70, millionaires and 19,000 centi-millionaires. Yeah. So the point is, you have these millionaires leaving their home countries. They are shifting business families and they're coming to another permanent residence. Now, when you're going to a permanent residence, you want quality of lifestyle, education, healthcare, safety, business opportunity, you want growth potential, you want all of this. Why are they choosing Dubai when they could have gone anywhere in the world? That's why I said I could go on all day on this, but there are so many reasons and that's the reason why people are investing in Dubai. In 11 months alone this year, we've had 361 billion dirhams invested through 106,000 transactions. That's a hundred billion dollars. If you don't know what dirham is, hundred billion dollars in 11 months. That's an average of 9,600 millionaires every single month investing an average of 33 billion in this market. So when someone turns on and says that now is not the right time to invest in property, where exactly are you getting your information from? In my view, Anthony, there's only two types of buyers in the Dubai market, incredible winners, and incredible losers. Now you decide which one you want to be part of. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Doctor, with all of these figures that we just spoke about, I want to ask you, what's the reason that stops lots of agents making money in this market where we see agents making between 10 to 50 million a year? With all of this crazy sale, there is lots of agents who don't do anything. Can you give us reasons? Okay. Uh, There's a phrase I always use, honey attracts flies. All right, now, flies love to come and take the honey that's been made by somebody else. Most of the brokers, not all, but a significant number of the brokers don't even understand why they're in real estate in the first place. You ask anybody why you're in real estate to make money. I mean, you could make money in a hundred different ways. You could make it selling boats, you could make it selling education. Why real estate? They've never really sat down firstly to understand why are they in real estate. They've seen the money, uh, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. They've seen the Instagram posts about someone who sold a 600 million villa. They've seen all of that and they got it. Did they see the effort of the person who closed the 600 million? Did they see how many sleepless nights he had? The, the weekends the that he gave up. You know, the times when he stood alone on a beach and was wondering what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> But he had the fire burning in him. And even after though he stood and wondered, the first thing he did when he came back was he checked his WhatsApp to see how many clients had responded to him. They don't see that. These guys are up early, they sleep late, they sacrifice weekends, while the average Joe, who doesn't have a dirham in his pocket, is sleeping at till 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and then he wants to get his hands on a, a 500,000 commission at the end of the month. You see, everybody wants the gold, but they don't want to climb the rainbow. You've got to love the process. They don't know why they're in it. They haven't done the right kind of research. The discipline is missing. The learning and understanding of the industry, the willing to, willingness to go out and shake more hands, the picking up of the phone, even when a person has said no, picking up, calling again. They don't ask the right questions. They go and ask people, why am I not selling? I think that's the wrong attitude itself. Why am I not selling is focusing on what I'm doing wrong. The question itself should be worded positively. What should I do to sell more? Focus on the strengths that you need to develop, not focus on the weaknesses. So uh, they need to be asking those questions, but they should be asking it to the people who are making the big money, the people who have the sense of purpose. We know that the deals are there. Uh, I don't want to take the name of a broker, but just last week I was in a, in a broker's office and this guy comes up to me, said, can I have five minutes with you? I said, yeah. And he said, I don't have a complaint. I don't have any issue that I'm struggling with. I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, I know who you're talking about. It's okay, we can name him. So yeah, right. I'm He's very been... proud of him. It's Jad from our company, from Provident. Yeah. It's Jad from Provident. Absolutely. And believe me, uh, 
when you look at Jad, I don't see intelligence in him that doesn't exist in others. I don't see a personality. It's very hungry. Yeah. I don't see a personality that's going to knock people out. I see Jad like the other brokers, but what I saw in him was that fire. Now, when he came to me and he said, "Well, I just want to say thank you." I said, "For what?" He said, "There was an event where I heard you speak about one more round. That's all it takes." He said, "That day, I couldn't sleep when I went back." everything that you had told us was going through my head two days later i closed my first deal in the last two and a half months he has closed 17 deals and eight rentals 17 and, saves and eight rentals and eight rentals now this is a person let's understand zero background in real estate comes in here even a fresh in the country new to the country gets the beatings is wondering what should i do to move to the next level grabs that opportunity puts in the hard work and he's closing the 17 deals in the eight rentals now what's the difference between him and everybody else he's hungry and he puts in the work recently he did two deals in 72 hours new person in the industry three and a half months there are others who close more deals credit to them but i'm giving an example of someone who's new but who puts in the hours and the effort today if jad picks up a phone call or if he goes to meet someone he goes in as king because he knows that he can do it and he has the confidence Absolutely. now and he has the record yeah. and he can tell landlords even i have done this in this building i will do the same for yeah. you so what's stopping them the attitude the willingness to put in the hard work the consistency in what they do and the discipline this is what is stopping them. doctor you can give million advice i'm sure but let's say if you have the ultimate the only advice that you want to give to this agents what would you say only one advice only one okay if i had to give only one advice to a broker who's new and it's going to be this choose very carefully who you listen to choose very very carefully who you listen to okay young people new brokers to the industry are highly absorbent they're excited but they're nervous they don't know where to start they are open to all ideas from them but they do not have the maturity i'm saying experience wise maturity in real estate they don't have the maturity to qualify that the people that they are listening to are the right people to advise them so what ends up happening if and i'm highly absorbent and i come into a company and i want things to work i'm going to grab every bit of information that is thrown at me but if the average broker is talking to them then i'm picking up average along with the average uh, strategies is going to give me comes the complaints and the negativities and the resistances you and all of me of myself <laughs> did i tell you this no when i joined the company i didn't know anyone and you know all of these joiners when they the new joiners they sit with each other because they are like together so we always used to go downstairs to have a smoke and this is where the cigarette break it's what kills your dreams Absolutely. actually yeah. so when people used to come to us and say how's work my colleagues always used to say oh you know the leads are shit so i didn't say anything because i didn't even have leads back then So when people started asking me individually how is work I I started to say these are shit even though that I didn't have one lead but I didn't know what to answer and after a few months I came to pick up my uh, my check from the finance which was I remember 10000 or something like that and I saw a check for an agent was 180000 and I'm like whoa I thought that I made money but when I saw that that's $50000 I'm like no I'm going to cut all of these guys out and I'm going to start walking around or next to these people Absolutely. pretending to be on the phone just to listen to what they say how they're making it and when I changed my surrounding I started changing the results and everything else Look, we are creatures of our environment okay you become exactly what you expose yourself to in life so yeah. if you're a new person in the industry choose the people you will listen to carefully without your permission they will destroy the belief and the fire in you and because you're highly absorbent at this stage you will grab onto anything that you get in fact the people walking around who have all the time to talk to you they come across as the experts but they've just found someone else with whom to vent their negative energy but look at the desks the ones who got purpose the ones who have intent are at the desk 
they are making the plan for the day they are putting their notes down they are making the calls these are the people you should be listening to and they'll give you the time you cannot go and hang out with them all the only reason the others are hanging out with you so much is they don't really have anything better to do so the question is how do i find out who is the person i should be listening to it's very simple i think the results speak so look at the leaderboards in your companies <laughs> the names are all there Listen, watch the people who are adding value at work not the people who just keep talking hang around with them make it a conscious decision i will watch at least 5 youtube videos every weekend on sales i would put an objection let me think about it let me see 5 videos on how to handle let me think about it create a plan for yourself okay don't listen to mickey mouse or the average joe because if you listen to them it is not their fault you have allowed them to get you into your head you shot yourself in the foot correct so my one single advice to anyone be very careful and choose carefully who you listen to doctor this has been amazing you know i always cannot get enough from you guys this will be coming on a weekly basis so like this video subscribe to the channel activate the bell and please feel free to put all of your questions in the comment below as i said this will be coming on a weekly basis also we do have training programs where we have the online courses we have physical training one on one and we do have a group training so if you wish to subscribe to this feel free to send us a direct message and we will take care of the rest Thank you for watching this episode doctor thanks a lot for coming see you on the next one